0: Welcome to another episode of the University of Washington's Thrivecast, the podcast designed to help School of Medicine faculty thrive. I'm Trish Critic, and today I'm joined by Jean Cause lucas Jean is an associate professor of family medicine and has a wealth of experience in writing letters of recommendation for medical students. Jean, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm following up on a great workshop that you co-led on writing letters of recommendation. We're really going to focus today on writing letters of recommendation for medical students because I know that's really squarely in your wheelhouse. And I know there's lots of our our listeners who are asked to write letters of recommendation all the time. So I thought maybe where we would start with is someone comes and asks you to write a letter of recommendation for them for a residency. What are the kind of first steps? And you decide you can do it. You, you make the decision, yeah, I can write this letter. What are the first steps that somebody should do and their and they're kind of preparing to write a letter of recommendation? What's your advice in that situation?
1: I guess there's a couple of things that I think are important. One is to know what it is that you're writing a letter for. So what is it that your student is applying in? And I think that sometimes that's a set of skills that you can focus towards um, as, you're, as you're writing. I think it's also important to get a sense of who that student is. And you may have had that in your time with them um, during a clerkship or a sub-I but to you know maybe have a sense of what some of their other motivation is for applying in the in the field or fields that they're applying in. And then I think it's nice if you have the opportunity to maybe, especially if it's somebody that you worked with a long time ago, to try to pull your evaluation if you if you did one, um, go back and see what you thought about this person, what was it like to work with them? What did you say when it was all fresh in your mind? And I think those are all things that that might help you along as you as you write a letter. Or is you you know,
0: One of the things that happens to me is people ask me to write a letter when I'm on service with them. And then the letter actually isn't written for a number of months after that. So I like the idea of pulling my evaluation. The other thing I've done, and you can tell me if it's bad or good, is I've asked them when they ask me to write the letter to remind me about three or four patients that they took care of or memorable things that happened while we were on service. And write that to me so I have it saved for a letter later. Is that legitimate? Or what do you think of that idea? I think
1: it's a great idea. And I think also, you know, I remember you mentioning that idea that you could also, if somebody asks you, circles back and asks you when they're preparing their application for residency, you can also say, hey, can you send me a tickler about, you know, our most memorable patient together? And um, and and I think that often helps us remember because we do remember those patients and those memorable moments.
0: Yeah, I don't know what it says about me that I'm better at remembering the patient than the person caring for the patient. But that's definitely true, not just for students, just in general. I remember the patient and then I know different folks interacted with that person and their family. Um, Okay, so maybe kind of spend some time refreshing your memory in a variety of different ways and and getting to know that student a little bit more and where they're headed. Um, And then I sit down and I'm going to try to to craft this letter. Um, for many of us, we have a kind of routine that we do, and I suspect we stick with that same routine most of the time and I wonder if there's pitfalls that we are perpetuating each letter to letter to letter because it's the way we write our letters so uh, can you talk me through some of the pitfalls that you know happen as people write letters and things we should attend to as we're we're doing that? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think that there's i think there's some very basic pitfalls, especially as we're in a um an environment where we have to um, upload our own letters of recommendation to ARIS. Um, And so a few things that are just important reminders that I tell people to do every time, um, ask the student for their ARIS or AAMC ID number to include that in there. Um, Make sure that you include some specifics, a specific about what residency that they're applying in. I think, you know, just to acknowledge the fact right now that we are in an environment where many, many students are, are, having multiple sort of parallel application plans where they might be applying in a very competitive specialty and have a parallel plan for a a less competitive one. And and you may field requests for multiple letters of recommendation for the same person. And that's not a sign of lack of dedication. It's just a sign of a, a pretty unusual set of circumstances in the residency application process that we're in right now. Um, other really basic things, making sure that you put it on um, letterhead and you don't forget to put your signature on there. I know that sounds so silly, but it is actually something that we see a fair amount. But other things are just, you know, trying to really articulate specifics about the student. Um, you know, if, if the student wrote, Fabulous notes. What was fabulous about them? If the student did um, a great history, um, you know, and they were able to sort of really get the um, the most important points of a history and a focused review of systems and, and physical exam for the for the the problem at hand with the st- with the patient, articulate those things, and um, you know, and I think also just trying to make sure that you are thinking hard about getting the different pieces of the student's performance as a medical student and not necessarily straying outside of what your wheelhouse is unless it's something that's really pertinent for what the student wants. So if the student is applying for something something other than residency perhaps that's very community focused, getting into that makes a lot of sense, but you know what people want for their residency letters of recommendation at least in the majority of cases, is they want information about what the student's clinical performance was like. They want to know, um, you know, were they good team members? Did they work hard? Did they have a great fund of knowledge? And, um, you know, and I think that those are the things that are the most pertinent for for residency letter, letter of recommendation.
0: I think what we see a lot of times is that the people also include comparators, like this is the best student I've worked with in 20 years. That's pretty rare. Or this is in the top third of students with whom I've worked. What, what do you think of that? Is that a valuable strategy or not? You know, my
1: understanding is that um, residency program directors love that kind of stuff. I think that, you know, the letter that you write for a student who's applying in something other than your specialty, where you say, gosh, I really wish that this person was going to be in my specialty because I would love to have them as a colleague here. Or, yeah, you know, this is... this person is in the top five people that I worked with and you know in the past 10 years or you know whatever it is I think that those things are valuable
0: I always wonder if I'm when I don't do that if I'm damning someone with faint praise by not saying that but I try to reserve it for the folks that I really feel strongly about and I don't know I'm never sure exactly what the impact of that is when somebody's applying
1: you know I think you want to stick to what's true and um and I think that if it's true in, for that student, I think it's really high praise. But I also think it's important for us to remember that all of our students need letters of recommendation for what comes next for them after medical school. And we, as medical educators, have a responsibility to write these letters, which I know is really hard. And sometimes the letters aren't going to be as strong as others. But you know, I think that when you truly have a superstar and you indicate that you're working, that you're talking about somebody who's really, truly unique in their, in their abilities, I think that highlighting that is totally appropriate.
0: I'm going to come back to the more challenging letters to write in a second sure. before we talk about that, because I think that that's something that lots of us have encountered. Um, I think that we have more and more attention to what we as writers have as unintentional biases and how they might be portrayed in the letters that we write. I know there's some literature about that on gender, maybe less about race. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just wondering if you have any kind of ways for us to check on ourselves or thoughts on that particularly.
1: Yeah, I think that really as you go through writing letters of recommendation to think about why you're using the words that you're using. Are they true? Are they accurate? And, you know, not reaching for certain things just just to reach for them. So, um, you know, a couple of things to maybe just to talk a little bit about what the data is having to do with bias and letters of recommendation, you know, letters of recommendation have kind of a checkered history there. It's a formulation that was meant to keep people out rather than to include people. And so I think that it's not a perfect, it's really not a perfect thing at all. And, um, and, but we're kind of stuck with it right now. And so trying to be intentional with the way that we um, characterize our, the people that have requested these letters in the structure that we're stuck with for the moment um, is really, really important. And so, you know, there's a lot of bias that's been documented in letters recommendation. Like you said, um, you know, there's gender bias has been documented for decades. There's a lot fewer studies that look at racial bias, but, you know, there's certainly greater use of doubt raisers for women, um, you know, saying things like, oh, they have less innate capabilities they're but, and more community focused and hardworking as opposed to sort of just superstars in their own right. But, and again, the racial bias that's been studied less, but has similar things. Uh, similar findings as some of the gender stuff. And then, you know, maybe just to say specifically what some of those doubt raisers are. So directly saying something negative about a person, um, you know, they have a challenging personality or something like that. Um, You know, you kind of mentioned damning with faint praise. So, you know, kind of indirectly criticizing somebody, he appears to be great. Maybe he's not that great, you know, using hedging language, um, and and also including irrelevant information. So, I think that you know again thinking through why you're choosing the words that you're choosing. I don't think that any of the things that are um, typically used, for example, as like gendered female words, like um, you know community orientation or hardworking or or focused on education, are are bad things at all. And in fact, they're really really good things. But I think we just want to be really. I think we just want to be really selective about why we're choosing them and be intentional with the words that we're using. I think the other thing is just remembering that that you know we want to be appropriately effusive for the right for the, for the, the right circumstances. So, you know, um, there is some evidence that letters of recommendation for people of color are often shorter and don't necessarily highlight the same kinds of things like research or publications or those kinds of things. And they're also more likely actually both with women and people of color, they're more likely to choose to use the first name rather than a um, like a title like Mr. or Ms. or doctor. And so, you know, I think that being intentional about how you even refer to a, an applicant, I think, is a really important thing to do as well.
0: It's interesting you raise that one because I just had a, con- literally yesterday, had a conversation about the use of first names. And I find that one a tough one because <laughs> there's a part of me that feels, and this was the conversation that we had, um, that the use of the first name conveys some familiarity with the person and some personal connection with that person. So that if I was writing a letter about you, I would talk about you as Jean because I know you and I would, that's how I would refer to you. At the same time, I think as you stated, there clearly are data that we're more likely to do that with certain folks and that there's some minimization of in this case the folks aren't doctors yet, but we're less likely to call people doctor so and so when they're women or other underrepresented groups. So I I struggle with that one. And I, in, my, in my heart, I'm like, I'm just going to use the same process with everybody that I write a letter for. But the person reading the letter isn't comparing my 10 letters. They're comparing this letter with the other folks that, that, they're, that are in the pool. So I, I still am not sure I know where I sit on that one because I still do like the personal part of talking about someone in, by their first name.
1: Well, and I, you know, I actually really appreciate that point, point. and I think that you're right. I think that there is something very personal about the first name, and um, and in the same way, is again, it's not. I think with all of these things, it's not necessarily that there's a bad or a good. You know, the, like all of these things are just words, right? It's just um, being intentional and thoughtful about how we use them. So you know, one of the the things that often comes up for me as when I talk about this, I, you know, I'm often in front of a family medicine audience and a lot of the words that are so valuable, like community, community orientation and, um, you know, education and those kinds of things are, if you put them into a gender bias calculator, they're gendered female. And, but it doesn't you know, they're not necessarily gendered words. They're not gendered words, in fact. Um, but what they are is their qualities. And sometimes they're absolutely pertinent and specific and focused on the qualities that we want in an applicant. And, and so... Again, the point here is not to say there's a bad or a good. It's to say, be thoughtful and intentional about how you choose those words and how you choose to incorporate them into a letter.
0: Yeah. And I think the other thing I heard you say as advice, which I I quite liked, and I think particularly for folks who are listening who are starting to write letters, having someone else read your letter and have them Mm -hmm. give you some feedback on the letter is a good strategy. Do, Do you agree with that? I think you're the one who told me that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that they're great advice, That that's something that is a really useful thing to do. That one of the things I've been hearing about is, is people sort of having a structure where they kind of look at each other's letters. I think another thing actually is, you know, we recommend that students waive their rights to see their letters of recommendation for residency. But I actually... You know, yes, I 100% think that they should waive the right because it's actually a flag to residency programs when students don't waive the right. But a student waiving the right Mm -hmm. to see the letter of recommendation doesn't mean that you can't show it to them if you have questions about it. If you're saying, hey, you know, I'm just, I want to make sure that I'm focusing this in the way that you want it to be focused. And I think this actually kind of, this comes up again a little bit more, even when you're talking about some of those students that have, that are maybe a little bit more challenging to write for, you know, it's okay to do that. It's okay to say, Hey, you know, I'm just trying to make a decision here. I, um, I uh, know that women are more likely to be referred to as their first name and a letter of recommendation. And I just want to be respectful of your desires here. I feel so personally connected to you that I would love to refer to you as Jean, but you know what, I just want to, what, what's best for you for this, for this scenario? And I think that that's a really reasonable thing yeah. to do.
0: That's a nice learner-centered approach. I also hypothesized that I could, which I've never done, say, I'm now going to refer to doctor Pause Paz-Lucas as Jean because I've known her for several years and I feel that's how I think of her as I, as I speak and that's how I'm going to write or something that actually makes it transparent in my letter writing that I'm doing it with intentionality. I don't know how it would come across to the reader, but I, I've contemplated that idea and I may try it out.
1: You know, it's actually really funny. I was—we have a, a student who is applying, who is an amazing person, and who needs some really special letters of recommendation. Um, and it was funny because I was in a group of people who were kind of reviewing these letters, and um, and one person chose to refer to the student with a title and last name, and another referred as the first name. And it was exactly that. And it was actually very explicitly stated. I'm choosing to refer to this student because I've had such a long relationship with this person and I really feel
0: connected. And I I actually thought it was really lovely. Yeah, I think that would work. That's my opinion, but I haven't tried it yet. So that's interesting. All right. Um, I want to make sure I ask one more question of you before our time is up. And that is something we've alluded to a couple times. So I feel like I'm going to ask it now, which is sometimes we get asked to write letters from folks for whom we're not going to write the most superlative letter because they're not the best student that we've worked with. And they may even had some challenges along the way, even working with us. And as you said, all students need letters. That's a tough one when you're asked that. So what's your guidance when someone comes to ask you that question? And you know in your heart that you're not going to be able to write them that, that, that rock star letter.
1: I think the question is, you know, can you write anything about the student? And, you know, a student who's had a really challenging voyage through medical school is, it's not going to be anything short of crystal clear on their application for residency. And so the question is, can you write a letter that talks about the student in a way that acknowledges some of what's been happening for them and maybe talks about their learning curve on your rotation? or, you know, talks about the work ethic and the team building, um, and also acknowledges that medical decision-making is something that is on the learning curve, but maybe not at the level of peers, uh, at, at the level of the students' peers. I I think that, um, you know, a lot of times for those students, it's, again, it's not like they don't know that they're going to be hard to write for, um, and it's also, something where they need letters of recommendation to be able to make it through their residency application process. So talking to them and being very, very honest, I don't know that I'm going to be able to write you a superstar letter of recommendation. I can write things about X, Y, and Z, about the things that we work together on and your performance. I feel that I have to acknowledge these other problems that came up. I would, can you tell me a little bit about what you've done since then um, and maybe you can acknowledge that as well. But, you know, I think that if you really don't feel like you can find something positive to say about a student, whether or not you choose to acknowledge the things that are um, are not so positive or not so strong in the letter, I think, um, you know, I think you do have to say no at some point. But, you know, again, I think if you can be honest and forthright about the things that are positive about the student and also, Acknowledge that the students <laughs> maybe on a on a more winding path than some of the other students that you've worked with in the past. I, you know that's actually probably what the residency program directors need to see anyway.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like say no if you really can't say anything positive, which I feel like most of us can say something positive, um, and otherwise have that kind of open, honest conversation with the student in advance, and then they can they can decide no, that doesn't sound good enough to me which would be okay. Or let me work with with you to try to refine what could be included. And I think that makes sense.
1: And I don't think, I think that if there's things that need to be acknowledged, you know, that's actually a gift. It's a gift to the student in a lot of ways, because I think that a lot of times there are things where, you know, the people who are reading these letters are like, oh boy, there's something between these lines trying to divine what it is and that's not so easy and so if you can be the person who can both honestly acknowledge the things that are that are great about a person about an individual human being that you've worked with and also the things that have been
0: challenging it's okay that's helpful and I think it is one of those challenges for all of us at some point in time in our career when we're like "Mm, this is a harder one to write Um, You've given us lots of pearls about writing letters, and I think that the listeners will will appreciate all the guidance. I want to give you a chance. Is there any last one or two points that you want to make sure that we leave with about writing letters or recommendations? We've hit a lot. but (laughs) Yeah, I mean,
1: I think, you know, um, I I will credit uh, some of the internal medicine faculty with coming up with um, the five C's. You know, try to keep it to one page, concise credible contextual make sure you introduce yourself um, give concrete examples and i think those comparative statements are valuable to um, to program directors and people who are reading um, reading the letters and then also you know if you're ever struggling for words you can always go back to things like great anchors or um, competency frameworks and just, you know, use some of that language to to articulate a little bit more specifically what it was that was great about a student so that, um, so that you know that the person is reading something that you meant to say.
0: All very helpful advice. And I really appreciate you spending the time talking with me about writing letters of recommendation. It's something I do a lot of and I still like thinking about it and kind of refining my approach. So I suspect if someone's listening and they're about to write their very first letter of recommendation for a medical student or someone who's written many more than one letter of recommendation for a student, this will be of use to them. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And I'll say, if you're interested and want to listen to more episodes of Thrivecast, you can find them at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find them on the UW School of Medicine faculty website at faculty.uwmedicine.com. And thanks to everybody for listening. Have a great day.